Good morning. That was horrible. Good morning. It is good to be with you. I need you to do me a favor. Right now, everybody think about the first real friend that you ever had. Like whatever age you were, you might have been four, five, six, seven, that you remembered though. Because we typically start out with friends that our parents assign us to. Right, you know what I'm talking about? Like, hey, I like this. Like, these are my friends. And then they have kids and they, they assume that you should be besties because they like each other. But then you grow up and then you don't really care for that person necessarily or you don't connect with them in that way. Your first friend, everybody got a name? Say it on the count of three. One, two, three, Bubba. I had, I had Frank and I had Bubba. Um, Frank and Bubba, I was living in South Alabama, in Ozark, Alabama. Anybody know where Ozark, Alabama is? Population 18. Um, Frank and Bubba. I remember Bubba because I went to his birthday party. I think it was in first or second grade. And I was on top of his tree house. And I was trying to impress a girl already at that age. I fell off, landed on a Hot Wheel. You know what a Hot Wheel is, right? You still have those? And I ripped my pants and everybody laughed and I went home. That's what I remember about Bubba. I went from Frank and Bubba, and then I went to Matthew Brown. We ended up being really good friends. We went to church together. Um, and even today, I still I haven't spoken to him in probably 15 years, but I still pray for him. It's interesting how God puts somebody on your heart. Um, this last year, I need to call. I'm, I'm gonna call Matthew this week, um, saying this out loud, because I, I found out I was praying for him um, I called my mother who knew him, of course, and I said, man, I'm praying for Matthew Brown right now. And she goes, uh, he lost his wife this week. And I love how God decades later puts people on your heart to pray for. It's how God works, isn't it? It's part of the cool part of who God is. And we're going to be speaking today about biblical friendship and what you're going to hear both today and tomorrow Biblical friendship is one of the greatest weapons that we have to fight against the evil one. And yet, we, we're, sometimes we're not very good at friendship. So if you are a freshman girl, will you please stand up? Okay, all right. No, stay standing. Stay standing if you would. There's nothing, this is not a big deal. I don't know why this is a big deal right now. Dr. White, this is not a big deal. Um, so there's freshmen, sophomore, juniors, and? And you have boys and girls. And so this represents roughly one-eighth of this school, roughly speaking. All right? Every, look around at them. Because in the world, in, in the United States today, you got to hear this. In the United States today, this is the number of people in our world today that says they have no friends whatsoever. You may be seated. I'm not saying that those girls that just stood up don't have any friends. In 1990, 3% of people said they had no friends. Today, 13% of people say they have absolutely no one that they can actually trust. 
The loneliest segment of our population are 18 to 28 year olds. That's you. Now, I know that Cedarville, this is not a normal place. One, because we are bound together by the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. But it is the world in which we live. 18 to 28 year olds is the largest population that actually is out there that says they have the fewest number of friends. It skews that number even higher. Why is that? One, I believe it's because of transition. It's the greatest transition that you have in your life. And sometimes it's harder to make friends when you're in transition. Not everybody goes to a university like this with a discipleship and the caring people, a staff that is going to live according to the word of God. That's not normal, but it is normal in our world. There are other numbers that come into play with this as well. 49% of Americans, so half of Americans, if we had all the freshmen and all the sophomore stand up, say they only, they have two friends or fewer. So over, less than, only half of Americans think they actually have three or more actual friends. And so you think about the importance and the significance of that as we're moving forward, especially when I tell you, I truly believe if you look at the word of God, uh, friendship is spoken about frequently. In the Old Testament, also even Jesus does that. We'll get to that in just a moment in John chapter 15. But when we start examining it, friendship is one of the greatest weapons we have. Um, I'm able, as Dr. White said previously, to pastor a church just outside of Grand Rapids, in Hudsonville, Michigan. It's called Chapel Point, amazing place. And um, what I would tell you is one of the greatest weapons that we have at Chapel Point is the depth of friendships that we have there in that place. I have hundreds of adult leaders that I know by name that I cherish and they are dear, dear friends. Now, I know that not hundreds of them that um, I would call on a regular basis, but there are dozens. And the depth of that friendship is one of the things that gives me, and this is what biblical friendship does, is when you really have deep biblical friends, it gives you a confidence and a courage to do the godly that sometimes you would hesitate to do. Because you go, I know they've got me. I know that I can move forward with this. And so if I, if I can do anything today, I do want you to open your mind. I want you to open your ears. I want you to open your heart to scripture to go, am I really living as a biblical friend? Because I think we've downplayed the significance of friendship. Having access to your homepage doesn't encapsulate friendship. It's another reason that I think that young people today, that 18 to 28 year old, is the, one, the, the people who claim to be the loneliest in our society is because of technology. 18 to 28 year old, what's the average number of hours on a screen every day now, today? It's changed in the last 24 months. What's the average today? Nine hours. Right? And so we have more touches than ever before. And I know you've heard some of this stuff before, but we have more people who will say that they like us and we go, how many, how many friends do you, that, when I was, uh, Facebook was first being introduced, I know that you guys weren't probably much less born yet, but when it was being introduced, it's like, how many friends do you have on Facebook? Right? And you wanted to hit a thousand if you could. And I, my goal was eight. And so <laughs> I got eight and I was like, whoa. And so like, we look at this, that, that doesn't mean they're friends. I'm wanting us to measure what it is to be a biblical friend. Do you have them and are you being one? Now, I'm not talking to your parents and I know that I'm not speaking to your parents, but I think one of the, the greatest things that your, your parents can teach you is how to be a good friend. 
my kids watching me be a good friend to people, right? Yes, I'm the guy who puts on my calendar at times, text friends, because I need to be reminded to text my friends. Is that cheating? Maybe. But is it trying to be genuine? It is. So we've downplayed the significance of friendship because being a good friend is also more than a hobby. You can't just have a shared hobby and go, oh, we're friends now. You can't have a shared interest in a professional team and go, oh, we're we're buddies now. You might want to spend time together and go watch a game, but it doesn't mean you're being a biblical friend. And the problem with friendship is just like with everything else, sin has not only separated us from God. That's what sin does. We know that very clearly, but I think it also separates us from other people. And so sin entered the picture and we see all of that, that it broke this community that we have with God, but also with other people. And even when Adam and Eve broke the depth of friendship amongst each other and they, God still, praise be to God, right? He still stepped in to reconcile. And so we see this. And so this is what we're going to learn is that godly friends reflect the characteristics of Jesus and push us toward God. That's a very simple way to think about friendship. Godly friends reflect the characteristics of Jesus and push us toward God. That's what they do. So I'm gonna set a foundation for biblical friendship today and then we're going to very quickly look at four things that I think are characteristics or metrics of biblical friendship. And again, the prayer is that you walk out of this place and go, am I being that person? And, And do I have those people in my life? So here's the foundation that we wanna set for friendship. 1 John 4, you can scribble this one down. 1 John 4, 7 through 11. 1 John 4, 7 through 11 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Everybody say, God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us, sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Everybody say, love one another. You can't claim to know the power of the love of God and then choose not to demonstrate that love to other people. It's not possible. And so that involves and impacts our friendship. The way you are loving other people and the way that you are a friend to other people and loving them is one of the greatest identity markers that you will carry as a believer of Jesus. It's the dog tag. It's the thing that marks you. People look at you and go, oh, yep, I know who they are now. It's the tattoo that you don't have, but that was, that's an identity marker that people would go, they learned something about you. And so we start to process this. The greatest example that we have of being a Christian friend is Jesus Christ. And he showed it in powerful, powerful ways. When you start looking at biblical friendship, there are some things that we need to understand also with this foundation is that we already know that being, I think being a, a biblical friend is proactive. I think godly love is proactive. I also think that biblical friendship is proactive. You're aware of what's going on around you with those people in your life and you're choosing to minister to them and to care for them. And you have to, you, we need to destroy this idea that somebody needs to earn our friendship. I am so grateful that we did not have to earn 
what it is to be a friend with the power of Jesus Christ. It is a gift that is given by him. We know that agape love, which impacts friendship, it's not about somebody's beauty. It's not about whether or not they've earned it. It's not about their goodness. It's about understanding what God has done for you. This is what John 15 says. John 15, 13 through 15 says, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. I have called you what? For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. So here's this example called Jesus Christ giving us a picture of friendship. He goes to his, his disciples and says, hey, guess what? You are my friends. You know the power of friendship by whether or not you're willing to lay down, someone's willing to lay down their life and he knows that he's about to lay down his life for them and now he comes and he says, guess what? No longer do I call you servants, but I call you friends. Why is he doing that? He's saying, hey, you know what guys? I'm gonna let you all the way in. Come on. I'm gonna let you know the power that that I have in my life because of who I am as a son of God. And he's saying, I'm gonna let you all the way in. And he's letting them know, hey, this is more important than you could possibly imagine. He's even gonna demonstrate that in complete humility by washing their feet at the Last Supper. It starts to paint a picture of friendship. If we, if we love Christ, we can't be selective of when we wanna implement the characteristics of Christ to other people. It's on a continual basis with how we choose to be friends with other people. And so we look at this. So here, I want, I want to give us four metrics, and we're going to look at even some Proverbs and different things, four metrics of being a biblical friend. I want you to write them down, and you're going to decide which ones you need to improve on. You're also going to give God thanks for the ones that others are demonstrating already to you. So first metric that we have is this. A godly friend sacrifices. We just read it in John chapter 15. They do the hard with each other. They don't abandon each other when things get difficult. Right? One of the ways we speak about it is we say, hey, are you a 3 a.m. guy? Meaning something happens. Can somebody call you at 3 a.m.? And you may go, oh, I'm so tired. But you're willing to be there even at 3 a.m. And for you young people that are listening, right? You're like, that's no big deal. But for older people, 3 a.m. is something significant right? It, it's, it's a hard thing, but that's why we say 3 a.m. Are you willing in the middle of the night to say, whatever you need, I'll get up and I'll pray for you. I've gotten the text before numerous times in my life, right? My daughter, this just happened to her or my son, this just happened. Or my, I, my wife just told me she wants a divorce. And in the midst of trying to squeegee your eyes open, you fall to your knees and you call out to God on their behalf. It's what you do. Proverbs 17, 17 says a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. They do the hard, they sacrifice for each other. 
They're, I love that. A brother is born for adversity. Brothers in Christ, sisters in Christ, you're born to be able to support each other through the most difficult of days. And when you've got a friend who's all of a sudden they're in their first year or second year and they don't know if they can keep doing this college thing because they just want to go home, they have brothers and sisters who should be coming around them going, no, if God, if you know God has called you here, I'll do anything to support you and to pray with you and to help lift you up so that you can learn what you need to learn so that you can go be an example to the world of the power of the resurrection. Biblical friendship is one of the greatest weapons we have to fight against the evil one. And so they, they, they know that they're willing to sacrifice for each other, do the hard for each other. That's what they do. Another thing that they do, another metric, and this is, this is kind of the thing that you have heard before, like when I was growing up, I had the whole, like my, my parents, you stand behind a door and they measure you and they boom, 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 boom. And when they move, they take the door because it's got all the years on it. You know, anybody did this growing up? This is what this is. These are biblical characteristics. It's measuring where you are as a friend. So all this is doing. A godly friend models godly character. That's the second one. A godly friend models godly character. Proverbs 13, 20, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. You know what that means? Who you hang out with matters. Who you choose to spend time with matters. Does it say that you should never try to be a light to those who are living in darkness? No, it doesn't say that. But it's letting you know that the people in your life that you're choosing to spend time with are going to impact you and have considerable influence on who you then become. It's Proverbs 13, 20. Proverbs 12 tells us that a righteous man is cautious in friendship, right? But the way of the wicked leads them astray. This is important because we often take on the characteristics, the attitudes of those around us. And yet we already know from Philippians chapter two, verse five, it says that your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, and so we go, wow, am I being that type of friend, carrying that type of attitude? A godly friend models godly character. I'll give you another one, Proverbs eleven thirteen, And this is a big one. Whoever goes about slandering, anybody here had someone speak negatively about you before? Will you just raise your hand? If you, I mean, it's just gonna happen. I'm not trying to be mean, but I'm just like, get ready for it if you haven't had that happen because we live in a broken world, right? Creation and then the fall. Whoever goes about slandering, Proverbs eleven thirteen. whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps the thing covered. I wanna speak about this for a moment because um, I don't think we recognize that if you're a biblical friend, the impact of gossip and slander. Um, back home right now at my church, I'm preaching on the life of Joseph. And uh, we always want to think that we're like Joseph. There's at least, a, there's a solid hundred parallels of the life of Joseph to Jesus, by the way. It's an amazing story. There's 12 of them, right? Sons of Jacob, also then named Israel. And so, yes, it makes sense that now they're, they each represent the 12 tribes of Israel. But his older, his 10 older brothers, the youngest was Benjamin, but everybody wants to think they're like Joseph. I think we're actually probably more like the brothers. 
It's pretty arrogant to think that you're the one like Joseph when he has all these parallels to Jesus, by the way. That's why I say that. And the brothers, if you don't know the story, they end up selling Joseph into slavery. They were going to kill him. They saw him walking up to see, to evaluate what they're doing and tending the flocks. This is Genesis chapter 37. But all of a sudden they see him walking up and they're like, hey, let's kill this guy. And it was his brother Reuben who says, no, no, let's not kill him. Let's do something different. And so they threw him in a pit. Think about your own siblings being willing to throw you in a pit and, to, and, and, and possibly to even want to kill you. Where does that start? I'll tell you where that started. It started with jealousy and envy. And it didn't, and, and they were slandering him. They were gossiping about him. They were, they were speaking about him as they saw him from afar, it says. It was gossip. Where did it begin? Jealousy and envy. One of the greatest things that keeps us from being biblical friends today is jealousy and envy. Why do they get to do this? Friends, when you can't celebrate with a friend the good that God is doing in their life, please be cautious because Satan may be working in your heart to create disunity and a lack of trust. Jealousy and envy is often the culprit that leads to slander and gossip. It's real hard to gossip and slander about somebody if you didn't already have jealousy or envy. And so it starts over here with this jealousy and envy that you have towards someone which can prevent you from being a biblical friend and then it moves to gossip and to slander and that gossip and slander moves to bitterness and to resentfulness. Friends, Joseph's brothers didn't start by saying, hey, day one, we should kill that dude. It grew over time. I think the same thing's happening with people today. It's one of the reasons that sometimes we don't understand what it is to truly be a biblical friend, but a godly friend models godly character. Third thing, a godly friend holds you accountable. Now, we don't like this. I always say we know it very well. I'm certain I've said it here before. Mature leaders invite accountability. I'm adamant about that. My church, if I say mature leaders, they'll go, invite accountability. I think it's important to be repetitious on that because it's one of the hardest things to do. Right, you gotta be careful how you do it, but it's not a lot of fun to look at somebody and go, hey, can you tell me something I'm doing wrong that I don't do very well? Because very few people, even if they have an answer, know how to tell you very tactfully. Right, they may just go, yeah, I've been waiting to tell you how much you just stink at this. And then all of a sudden your heart is hurt. You have to do this well. You have to do this with respect and with kindness. But I truly believe a godly friend holds you accountable. Why? Proverbs 27 is one of the most popular Proverbs we have, right? Proverbs 27, 17. As iron sharpens iron, what? What's it say? One man sharpens another. They make each other better. A godly friend doesn't let you remain the same because they want you to grow in the power of Jesus. But we don't like to let that person in. It's hard to do. Proverbs 27 verse nine reminds us that the sweetness of a godly friend is hearty counsel. That's what that accountability brings. 
And so you wanna go to somebody and say, hey, how are you doing this? I've, I've, always, I've got two guys in my life who don't work for me, who I go to roughly every four to six months and they already know the questions and they ask me the same thing. And I say, I need to know how I can be a better pastor and how I can be a better preacher. And now it's gone to how can I be a better friend? Here's the rules to that. And it's not, it's not easy. I'm 50 years old. That's when you go, what? You don't look that old? I thought this was a Christian school. I need to hold you. Somebody just said, we're holding you accountable. Get out. Wow. Lack of wisdom. So I look at them and they know here's the rules. I don't want to hear anything good. They say, well, okay. And they, I go, here's how I think you can be a better preacher. I did this this week with my wife. I have the opportunity. I, I get to preach to a lot of people. I can't believe God would use me to preach to even this. I'm so honored to be here. And I looked at her, I said, how do you think I can be a better preacher? She goes, do you really want to do that right now? And she said it so nicely. It's hard to do. But when we, when we no longer want to grow in who God designed us to be, we're in a lot of trouble. And a godly friend holds you accountable. It's Proverbs 27, 17, Proverbs 27, verse nine. We know this. But insecurity makes it difficult for us to hear others. Insecurity makes it difficult for us to hear others. You see, I already know I'm crazy broken. I have the joy of being one of those people that I will show grace to absolutely everybody, but never to myself. You can't judge me harder than I've already judged myself. Anybody else like this? But let me tell you something right now. The grace of God is greater. The grace of God is greater. Amen? So a godly friend holds you accountable. Last thing that a godly friend does is a godly friend forgives. And this is the same for marriage, by the way. That's why I'm preaching on this partly because some of you, right, you're gonna walk out of this place and many of you will know who you're even going to be with for the rest of your life. You need to apply this to your marriage as well. A godly friend forgives. Our friendships don't end when someone wrongs us. Our friendships don't end when someone wrongs us. Otherwise, we wouldn't have the grace of Jesus. Yeah, but you don't know what they did, Pastor. You don't, like, I, for two years, I was just a great friend to them and I did everything I could and then they spoke ill of me and they said all these bad things and they knew it wasn't true. Well, you know what that probably means? that they have crazy insecurity, hurt and pain and sin in their own life. And that's when they need a friend more than ever to get beyond their own hurt feelings, to minister to them and to love them, to demonstrate Jesus and not just simply demonstrate self. This is one of the ways I would encourage you to even recognize that a godly friend forgives. Is to make sure you demonstrate Jesus's love like you did to Peter. 
Peter's story is one of the most amazing things, right? Peter's one of the big three. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the Old Testament, but Peter, James, and John in the New Testament. Like Dr. White, these are the big guys. This part of the story always wrecks me. It's the night before Jesus is going to die. He sits, he washes the disciples' feet, right? Peter says this afterwards. He's like, Jesus, I'll never betray you. And he says, here's Jesus looks at it. He says, before the rooster crows, you will three times. He says, no, not me. I got you. And he betrayed him three times. And by the way, when he saw him hanging on the cross, he wept. But later on, when Jesus came back, because if you don't know, Jesus kicked death in the teeth. And he came back and he saw his friend and he says, friend, I, I love you and I'm gonna build my church on you. Ooh. Okay. He didn't say, listen, I know you denied me. You better get down and beg for forgiveness. And then even after that, in a week, I'm gonna remind you of what you did. Did he do that? It's really hard to be a good biblical friend if you want to remind others of their wrongdoing after they've already said, I'm sorry. It's real hard. It's real hard to go, I want to be like Jesus, but I'm not going to let you forget how you screwed up. can't be the biblical friend. And let me tell you now, for all of you, one day you can get married. It's hard to be a biblical wife or a biblical husband. If you want to remind people of their shortcomings rather than see them for who they can become and the power of the resurrection. It's one of the greatest tools we have to let Satan just crawl in a hole to go, I can't fight against him because one person by themselves, they'll fall. To me, that's Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 30. It talks about, listen, with one, we can do this, but with two, it's so much greater. Like, don't you get it? So a godly friend forgives. So this, this is what I'm gonna do. And tomorrow we're gonna go in a little bit of a different direction with it. But I want, it, I want you to wrestle with this. So everybody do me a favor. As we close today, we're gonna worship with each other. I need everybody to get your phone out. Get your phone out. If you didn't bring a phone, take your neighbors. I'm just kidding. That's not being a good friend. This is what I want you to do. They're going to start to worship with us. And as they do, I want you to text one friend right now. And I'm going to give you some things that you can say. Like I text my friends a lot. And you can say, some of you, you know that you've done something wrong to you. You say, hey, I wanna talk to you in person, but know that I'm sorry if I've done such and such. I'd love to talk to you later. Don't use text as your get out of jail free card. I think you need to learn how face-to-face conversation. I'm not saying that. Someone, you just need to go, man, it's been a hard year, but you've been the friend for me. Thank you so much. And you're gonna encourage them to continue to be a biblical friend or somebody you've wronged and they forgave you. And like, thank you for forgiving me. I want every single person in here to text someone 
Some of you, because I already had all the freshman girls stand up. Guys, some of the people in this room have not won. That should bother you. Some of you aren't a good friend because you're so busy evaluating someone rather than simply embracing someone. I want everybody in here to text somebody a word of encouragement or to say, hey, I'd love to sit down and have coffee. Maybe God wants us to befriend one another. Get over your awkwardness. It was awkward when Jesus was hanging on that cross so that we can learn to be a biblical friend. God, I thank you for these men and women. I ask that you would bless them. I ask that you would show them biblical friendship. I ask that you would allow every single man and woman in this place to move beyond any hindrance that they've had previously, to move forward in what you have designed for them. I thank you that we can have life in Christ. Amen. Text someone right now.